You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC 264 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC 264 features a 13-fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN+, ESPN, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a middleweight contest featuring Alan Amadovsky, who is 8-2, and Yao Song Hu, who is 3-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick notes before we get started here. First off, the opening betting odds that I will be quoting are from MMAOddsBreaker.com. They are opening betting odds for UFC 264 via Adam Martin. So make sure you head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com and check out the opening betting odds. They are market prices that we are using. The updated pricing is from Circus Sports here in Las Vegas, also available in Colorado and soon to be Iowa. So anywhere in the world, you guys can log on to the Circus Sports app and check out all of our lines. So those are the updated lines that I will be quoting are from Circus Sports. And again, the market prices are available on MMAOddsBreaker. Also, make sure you guys head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out this week's episode of UFC on the line for UFC 264. Yanni the Greek and I were joined by Doug Kazarian and, of course, Brendan Fitzgerald, as always. So it's a great show. All of our official bets are on there as well. So make sure you head over to Fight Pass and check that out. And last thing before we get started here, I apologize for the audio issues. I'm not in the usual place that we record the podcast. Haven't really been all week. We're getting some work done in our house. We just recently moved. So... All sorts of chaos going on in the Kalika's household this week, so my apologies for the audio. It won't be as clear as normal, but we want to get this podcast out because we know how important it is, so we're doing it for you guys. All right, without further ado, getting into the first fight of the night. Amadovsky opened minus 175, the comeback on Hewitt plus 150. Right now, over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Amadovsky at minus 132, the comeback on Hewitt plus 112. Early action, sharp action, public action. Everybody seems to be on hue in this spot. I get it. I understand it. I think it's a dog or pass situation as well. Both these guys throw heavy leather. Both these guys have question marks as far as defense is concerned. And both these guys have question marks when it comes to fight IQ as well. So in that situation, I don't think it's a good idea to lay chalk. I get why you guys are betting the dog. But at the same time, I kind of lean a little bit more towards Emadovsky because I think he's been a little bit more battle tested. I think he's fought the better competition level. Hugh, there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. He is dropping down to 185 for the first time, which should, should bode pretty well for him. But again, this is going to be a firefight. These guys are going to be throwing bombs with not a lot of defense coming to play here. So for me, I'm not confident either way. But again, I can respect the dog action coming in. I think you guys are probably on the right track, but I have to see it first before I can make a decision myself. And I think both these guys are just too difficult to depend on. So myself, I'm going to lean the other way, go against everybody here that's picking Q. I'll go Emadovsky, but again, not a very confident pick. And I'm right with you. Uh, my main issue here is both of these guys have been very inconsistent and have performed poorly in the UFC. So uh, we really haven't seen the best out of them inside the octagon. Uh, as Nick mentioned, Hugh is 
making his debut at 185. He started at heavyweight, got beat by a low-tier heavyweight, dropped down to light heavyweight, got beat, thrashed by another low-tier light heavyweight, and then now he's dropping down to 185. Uh, sometimes dropping weight classes helps. Uh, you know, we've seen several fighters that started at the heavier weight classes have some success, you know, like Jared Cannonier. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you're just not good, and that's a total possibility here with you. Uh, you know, he had, he had very low competition level and then got thrust right into the UFC and has not performed well against some pretty low tier competition already. Um, that being said, Amadovsky, you know, also came into the UFC undefeated and has also underperformed. Um, granted, he's faced better competition. You know, Jotko was a top 15 middleweight at one point, maybe even top 10. And that was his debut. Uh, and then Phillips is a heavy hitter. He's flawed, but the guy hits like a Mack truck and he got into a slugfest with him and paid the price. So I think in terms of skill set, Amadovsky is the better fighter. Um, my issue is, the, I mean, the, realistically, my only issue is that Hugh has not fought in 30 months and he's still young. So he's 26 years old, trains out of Tiger Muay Thai, and he could be a completely different fighter. Uh, that's a good gym, Tiger Muay Thai. They have some really solid fighters that come out of there. So I'm, you know, it could be an iron sharpens iron type of situation where we don't even recognize the fighter that was in the octagon before uh, dropping weight classes and having 30 months to hone his skills. So that's really the biggest question mark for me. Like if it was the the hue that fought against uh, Coulter in his last fight and got smashed, um, I would say Amadovsky wins 95% of the time. But with 30 months to improve his skills and still being young, um, I think it's going to be a lot closer. I'm going to lean Amadovsky just because I've seen a little bit more of him and what I've seen has been better. But uh, if this is a whole new and improved Hugh, then we could see him uh, pick up the win. But I'm going to go Amadovsky. Uh, and I, I, it's more because Hugh really did look like a punching bag in the Coulter loss. And I think Amadovsky can really get going with the striking here. So I'm going Amadovsky. Now, dropping down to the flyweight division, we have Zalgis Zumagulov, who is 13 and 5, taking on Jerome Rivera, who is 10 and 5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Zuma Gulov opened minus 400 to come back on Rivera at plus 300. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we currently have Zuma Gulov at minus 305 to come back on Rivera at plus 255. So market likes Rivera as the underdog here. I mean, I, I think it is tempting for sure because Rivera is a lot more talented than everybody anticipates. I understand he hasn't really had that success in the UFC since his contender series win. Uh, but I still think Rivera brings a lot to the table. He's a dangerous fighter, especially when he gets the fight to the floor. But here, I think he is going to struggle stylistically with this matchup because I think Zumagulov is the more complete fighter. I think he's a little bit more steady. He's a little bit more consistent. He mixes everything up a little bit better in this spot. Um, I know he's going to be at a reach disadvantage, but he normally is. I mean, he's a small guy for the weight class as far as height goes. Um, and I think he is actually the better striker, the more durable striker here in this spot as well. And I think he has the wrestling edge. So everything is pointing to him being the favorite. But I think with the size and the ability Rivera has to finish fights sometimes, it, it does make this a, a not easy spot to bet, right? Especially laying the chalk. So I get 
why everybody was kind of coming in on Rivera early on with the high price. But I still like Zumagulov here. I think I know he's been in two very difficult fights, uh, competitive fights, especially the one against Paiva. I think a lot of people believe that he could have won that fight, and that says a lot as well. So Zumagulov belongs in this flyweight division. Rivera desperately needs a win to save his spot and I think stay on the roster here as well. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, both these guys kind of have their backs up against the wall. I do lean a little bit more towards Zuma Gulov. But again, if you're going to lay 300 or above, it's kind of tough in this spot. And I'm going to go Zuma Gulov as well. Uh, the main thing here is um, how they've performed outside the UFC because both have disappointed in the UFC so far. But Zuma Gulov outside the UFC had some pretty impressive performances. I mean, he beat uh, Tyson Nam. He beat uh, Tagir Ulanbekov. He beat Ali Bagautinov outside the UFC. Now, that guy fought for the title once. So um, it's very clear that he's a capable fighter. He's just had a little bit of bad luck so far. I mean, he lost a controversial decision in his debut to Paeva. Um, and then uh, it was a little more clear cut to uh, Albazi in his last fight, but it was still, you know, a relatively close decision. Um, so had a tough draw. Both those guys are rock solid flyweights. Um, Rivera, on the other hand, has just not performed. I mean, he is 0-3, been knocked out twice. It just, it's pretty clear to me that he does not belong in the UFC flyweight division. To me, even though neither of these guys have a win in the UFC, it feels like the UFC is kind of feeding Rivera to Zuma Gulov to kind of build that confidence back up because they see the talent there. Um, you know, I think otherwise maybe, you know, they would have cut Rivera already. So uh, I just think in terms of how they match up, uh, Zuma Gulov, you know, he is just significantly more talented, a much better striker, um, I think. And the fact that Rivera has been knocked out twice, I think it sets up a really good opportunity here for Zuma Gulov to not just win, but get a stoppage victory. Um, Rivera is the bigger, longer fighter, but I don't think he can use that range very well here. And uh, really, the, the only key to victory here for Rivera would be to potentially try to get takedowns and use some of his grappling and get top position. But I'm just not convinced he'll be able to pull that off here against a, a pretty well-rounded, capable guy in Zuma Gulov. So I think Zuma Gulov wins and potentially wins quickly by knockout. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Omari Akhmedov, who is 21-5-1, taking on Brad Tavares, who is 18-6. Now, Nick... Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Tavares opened minus 190, the comeback on Akhmedov at plus 165. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Tavares at minus 155, Akhmedov at plus 135. So a little bit more market-wide action coming in on the dog. But make no mistake, there's a lot of public support and some sharp bettors out there that love Tavares. And they've already came on that side. So this is one of those fights that we are getting two-way sharp action, a lot of split opinions on this fight as well. I get the narrative. I think Tavares is the better fighter, the more solid fighter here in this spot. He's got great takedown defense. He's a better striker. I think he could win on the scorecards here. I think he's got the better conditioning, better cardio as well. I think he could possibly win by finish as well. He's not really known for his finishing ability, but I think in a spot like this, it's his time to kind of shine, so to speak, right? But... The other end of it, Akhmedov is getting better. A lot of people aren't really showing him that much respect at the betting window, and they, at times they have not because I think they see 
him slowing down. They see the holes, the defensive flaws in his game. They see his wild aggression sometimes on the feet. So I, I understand it, but he has improved and he's put together some pretty impressive wins as of late as well. So including his last submission went over Breeze. So I think Akhmedov is probably better than most are anticipating in every realm of, you know, the sport. And I think people are underestimating him slightly. So I'm going to actually pick Tavares. But as far as a bet goes, I'm actually going to lean a little bit more towards Akhmedov. It's dog or past for me, especially with the amount of public support, amount of, I think, social media support I'm seeing for Tavares. It seems like it's everybody's favorite play. I get it. I can respect it. But I think Akhmedov can mix in some takedowns, especially early on. And I think he can hold his own and be a little bit dangerous at times, even though he's not the better striker here. Let's not forget, Tavares does get hurt in fights. He gets rocky fights as well. Akhmedov throws those heavy haymakers. So you never know. He could clip Tavares as well. But I think he's going to mix in takedowns. He's going to do enough damage on the feet where he can possibly steal this decision or maybe even knock Tavares out. But as far as a pure pick, if I have to flip a coin, I'm leaning Tavares, of course. And he should be the slight favorite because of the takedown defense and because of his striking ability. So I get it. I just think the betting window, I can't bet that side. So for me, it's a dogger pass, but I am going to slightly lean towards Tavares. Yeah, I'm a little nervous because uh, Tavares has been out-wrestled in the past. Granted, it was a while ago, and it was by Yoel Romero, um, so one of the best wrestlers uh, in the middleweight division. Um, And Tavares has been knocked out a few times. Um, He is a little bit chinny, so the possibility is here for Akhmedov to either out-grapple Tavares or, you know, just land that big haymaker and knock him out or hurt him and set up a takedown. So... Those are the things I'm mostly concerned about in terms of how Akhmedov has a path to victory. But with Tavares, I think the path to victory is pretty clear and simple. Uh, do what he does best, which is utilize his distance, beat Akhmedov on a technical level in the striking, uh, defend takedowns. For the most part, Tavares has shown excellent takedown defense throughout his career. It's really only been uh, that Romero loss that his takedown defense was kind of exposed. But against several other grapplers, he's performed admirably. So I'm not super concerned about the takedown defense, although Akhmedov is a very capable wrestler. Um, the thing also is Akhmedov does slow down in fights. Tavares, you know, he's he's got some good cardio. He does not slow down. In fact, I think he gets a little bit stronger as the fight goes on. So uh, if Akhmedov does not get strong first two rounds and kind of seal it, Right away, um, I could totally see maybe even Akhmedov winning the first round and then losing a little bit of steam, and then Tavares just taking over, winning the last two rounds and taking a decision, maybe even getting a late stoppage. Um, Tavares should be able to control uh, everything going on in the cage and uh, utilizing that superior striking technique. um, I think that he can make Akhmedov look a little silly at times as well. So I like... Uh, Tavares here. I'm still going to be nervous the whole time that Akhmedov lands that big shot or gets takedowns and is somehow able to keep Tavares down. But I think Tavares is going to make Akhmedov work too much. And I think Akhmedov is just going to run out of steam at some point, And that's when Tavares takes over. So I think Tavares is going to be my pick here. Now... Dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Jennifer Maya, who is 18-7-1, taking on Jessica I, who is 15-9. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? 
Maya opened minus 175, the comeback on I at plus 150. Now looking over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Maya minus 195, the comeback on I at plus 170. So more support, more love coming in from Maya. A lot of that, I think, is due to her being able to actually fight and hang with the champ, Shevchenko, in this weight class. Pound for pound, in my opinion, the best female fighter on the planet. So losing to Shevchenko is not necessarily a bad thing. And stealing a round and having the ability to kind of hang in there with her for a moment is actually better than most people have done in the past. So I think with that alone, the respect level for Maya has grown just dramatically, right? The perception from people, they think Maya is arguably maybe the number two, number three female fighter in that weight class at 125 pounds. So we'll see. This is a great test. This is a great matchup that the UFC's given her because, again, styles make fights. So just because she did match up fairly well with Shevchenko doesn't mean she's going to match up as well with Jessica I here in this spot. So I think this is going to be a very competitive fight. I think Maya is getting better. I can see the improvements in her game, physically stronger. She's utilizing that wrestling a little bit better. She's always had decent striking, has a good ground game. So she's becoming a very complete fighter. She's going to, I think, put everything together here and look to kind of grind on just guy, utilize her striking, of course, as well, but just make things a kind of a hard, tough, grueling fight for just guy. But just guy's game, she's been in there with the best of the best, of course. She's got good striking. I think she's going to be a little bit faster and a little bit more capable at times on the feet than Maya. So she should be able to outpoint Maya and keep her distance, I think. If she stays off her back and doesn't let Maya grind on her, I think she can have a lot of success in this fight. So to be honest with you, I think it's a dog or pass situation. I think the line is getting overinflated a little bit. It should be much closer. And you know, I've always supported Jessica in the past. I think she's underrated and she's been a pretty good underappreciated fighter. I mean, I think in the flyweight division, especially. So for me, I'm going to actually go on the limb and pick Jessica to win this fight straight up. I think it will be competitive. I think it will be a pretty solid fight. Yeah, I just think the price is way too high. So if you guys are coming in here betting the chalk, just be careful out here and don't go crazy because I think it's going to be a 29-28, maybe a split decision type of fight. But I'm going to lean just guy. And I'm going to come in the other way. I just think uh, you kind of laid out a good game plan here for how Maya can beat Jessica I. Because I think on the feet, I does have those good boxing fundamentals and I think she can outstrike Maya. But she's also going to be concerned about the takedown. Now, Maya isn't an elite wrestler, but she is a very competent grappler, and if she can get a hold of I, I think that I's going to be in a bit of trouble. I mean, we have seen that historically throughout I's career. If she faces somebody that can get her on the ground and keep her there, uh, she struggles. Now, she's not always getting submitted or anything, but she just has a lot of trouble from bottom position. We saw that recently against Cynthia Calvillo, where she was taken down and kept down pretty much over the course of five rounds and kind of dominated. Um, and uh, that's happened throughout her career. Uh, you know, Sarah McMahon outgrappled her. Juliana Pena outgrappled her. Misha Tate outgrappled her. Alexis Davis outgrappled her. And I think Jennifer Maya can do it too. Now, I'm not convinced it's going to be a dominant uh, nonstop takedowns because that's really not what Maya does. She's more of a clinch-based grappler, but she is heavy from top position. As Nick said, you know, she was able to take a round against Shevchenko, which pretty much no one else has done uh, in the women's MMA other than maybe, you know, Amanda Nunes at Bantamweight. So uh, in this fight, I think I will probably win the striking exchanges, but Maya will make it close because I is going to have those takedowns on the back of her head. And um, once Maya is able to close that distance, whether it's in the clinch or with a, a takedown, uh, I think that that's really what's going to do enough to get her over the top and win the decision here. So my pick is going to be Maya. I think that that strong, heavy top control 
plays a huge part in uh, getting her the victory. Although I do think I is going to hold her own in all the stand-up exchanges. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have uh, Drigus Duplessis, who is 15 and 2, taking on Trevin Giles, who is 14 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Giles opened minus 130. The comeback on Duplessis was at minus 110. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is actually Duplessis at minus 125. The comeback on Giles at plus 105. So line flipped. More public and sharp action coming on Duplessis early on. He is the popular trendy bet here. I don't necessarily agree with it. I understand he's got that finishing ability. I mean, the guy has six knockouts and nine submissions to his name. So every one of his wins, he gets done inside the distance. Giles at times has... Defensive issues, honestly. I mean, he's a pretty solid fighter. This is going to be a very difficult test. I know a lot of people were happy and pleased with the buzz and debut of Duplessis coming through because he ended up getting a finish against Perez. But Giles is a different beast. I think Giles is a much difficult, much more difficult task at hand here for Duplessis. I think Giles could actually, if he fights smart, keep the space, utilize his striking ability, utilize those angles, and kind of pick Duplessis apart. I think he could probably keep this fight upright if he wants to, stuff some takedowns and not get submitted by Duplessis on the ground either. So I think it's Giles' fight to win or lose, to be honest with you, and I'm leaning his way. So I, I get it. I can respect the finishing ability of Duplessis, especially if you look at, like I said, the fight IQ sometimes from Giles. But the truth is, Duplessis isn't as impressive to me as he is to a lot of people out there. From what I've gathered thus far, I think he's hittable. I think he could be hurt. And I think he's vulnerable at times, especially on the scorecard. So I think Giles can win this fight. So I'm going to pick him to win this fight, and we'll see what happens. And I'm going to disagree on this one. Uh, the main thing for me is, while I do think that Trevin Giles is well-rounded and technically sound and is more than capable of winning this fight, um, my main issue is that he just finds ways to lose fights. Um, fight IQ is not his strong suit, and sometimes you have to play into that when you're making your selections. Now, Duplessis impressed me. Uh, he's looked rock-solid. Um, had uh, quality wins outside the UFC and then came to the UFC and immediately knocks out Marcus Perez, the former LFA champ, uh, been in the UFC for a little bit. Um, and I think it was the first time Perez had ever been stopped. Uh, really, really impressive UFC debut. Uh, now, Giles has been around longer in the UFC, um, had, and he's on a bit of a nice streak here, a three-fight win streak. Um, my main issue with Giles is at times... Not just the fight IQ, but at times he can get tentative. Um, I'd say he is the more technically sound striker, Giles, compared to Duplessis. But Duplessis does mix it up a little bit better. And I think Duplessis has more power. So if Giles is uh, being a little bit passive, like he tends to be at times, uh, Duplessis could take over the stand-up, even if he's not quite as good of a striker as Giles. Now, in terms of the ground game, uh, Giles is the better wrestler, but Duplessis is a savvy grappler. I mean, this guy, even though he had that great UFC debut winning by knockout against somebody that had never been knocked out, um, he's actually known just as much for his submission skills as he is for his uh, knockout ability. Uh, Duplessis came into the UFC with a nine submissions. So if this goes to the ground, um, I think uh, Duplessis could outgrapple Giles. I think he could sweep him. I think he could put him in some perilous situations with that submission game. And don't forget, uh, Giles has been submitted a couple times now in the UFC. So 
Uh, that is absolutely something that he needs to be concerned about. So with all that taken into consideration, while I totally could see Giles winning, uh, you know, a ho-hum decision and just kind of trying to outpoint Duplessis over the course of three rounds, uh, I'm going to go with the guy that I think presents a little bit more danger here. Somebody that can threaten to finish the fight and somebody that's going to be a little bit more aggressive. So I'm going to side with uh, Duplessis. Now... Dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Ryan Hall, who is 8-1, taking on Ilya Tapuria, who is 10-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Tapuria opened minus 220 to come back at Hall at plus 185. And over at Circus Sports right now, as we speak, it's Tapuria minus 220 to come back on Hall at plus 190. This line got bet up immediately. Tapuria got bet up as a favorite, really. And... As we get closer to fight time, more action coming in on Hall, dropping the line back down a little bit as well. So another spot where we are getting heavy two-way action on this fight card. Man, I'll tell you what, Taporio has looked and been very impressive. I bet him against Zalal in his debut. He came through for me. I appreciated that for sure. He followed up with an impressive win in his next fight as well. Hall, of course, is that. Just different type of beast that you have to face, though. And that's what makes this fight a little bit tricky because Hall is so good on the ground. I mean, he's a special elite-level jiu-jitsu, world-class competitor. We know that. I mean, one of the best, again, BJJ practitioners to ever grace the octagon. And, I mean, you could say that about Damian Maez, Gilbert Burns, and those guys. That's the kind of elite-level category Ryan Hall is with his submission ability. Um, so he's capable of finishing anybody on the ground in this weight class if you make a mistake especially. So if you're submission defense – is vulnerable, you're done. If you have great submission defense, Ryan Hall is the type of fighter that can still get you. So, Taporia likes to utilize his wrestling. I think he's going to probably want to use it in reverse here, keep the fight upright, sprawl, brawl, and probably try to knock Hall out. Hall has that unorthodox striking ability. He utilizes those kicks pretty well and frustrates his opponents. So, it's going to be an intriguing fight for sure. I'm really looking forward to this. On top of everything else that's going on in this card, this one stands out to me because I really want to see how this plays out. I can't lay the juice, can't lay the chalk on Taporia because Hall's so dangerous on the other side, but I do think he probably gets this fight done. So, my pick is Taporia, and I'm very interested to see how this one plays out. Yeah, this is always one of those really interesting combinations when you have a super specialist take on a really well-rounded dangerous fighter and that's what we have here i mean ryan hall is a brazilian jiu-jitsu master i mean this guy is incredible when he gets fights to the floor he can tap people out with all kinds of unorthodox attacks uh, he has all these unique things that people are just not used to dealing with so if he is able to drag Tapuria to the canvas in any way, even pulling guard, you name it, butt scooting around, whatever he can do to get this to the floor. If he does, Taporia is going to be in danger. Now, Taporia is a solid grappler in his own right, but what really helps him stand out is the striking. I mean, he is a very, very impressive striker. Uh, to make that UFC debut and beat Zalal, and then follow it up with a one-sided thrashing of Damon Jackson. I am really high on this guy. I mean, I think he has serious potential to be a top 15 uh, featherweight following uh, this performance if he wins. Uh, and, you know, potential contender down the road. I mean, I really think this guy has a boatload of potential. So uh, 
in this fight, I mean, he just has to be extremely careful because if he leaves one opening and makes one mistake, Ryan Hall is going to be able to capitalize on it. Uh, that's just what he does. So if Tapuria can keep his distance and just start picking apart Hall uh, from distance with his striking, he should be able to walk away with a one-sided, albeit, you know, boring victory. Uh, but if he leaves that opening and plays with fire, Ryan Hall could absolutely submit him. So it's just one of those really interesting chess matches that I'm looking forward to seeing, even if it doesn't end up being super entertaining. Just that threat is always going to be there. So I'm picking Tapuria to win, but you cannot deny that Hall does, uh, doesn't have a path to victory. So uh, Tapuria is my pick, however. Now moving up to the welterweight division, we have Nico Price, who is 14-4, and four, taking on Michelle Pereira, who is 25-11. and 11. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Pereira opened at minus 175 to come back up price, plus 150. Right now, looking over to Circus Sports, we have Pereira at minus 180 to come back up price, plus 155. More action, more love coming in on Pereira right now. I get it, man. The guy is fun to watch. Uh, he's exciting. He seems to be getting a little bit more discipline. He's pacing himself a little bit better, which you'd like to see. Um, he's being a little bit more technical. I mean, his wild aggression is what we all want to see, honestly, right? I mean, the crazy flips, the crazy attacks, and his power, and how dangerous this guy could definitely be. It's exciting. But for him, I think it's smart to kind of tone things down a little bit, fight at a better pace, fight smart, especially against dangerous opponents. In his last fight against Chaos Williams, I thought he fought very smart. Got a very solid win, and here he's going to have to fight smart again because I think Nico Price is extremely dangerous. He's going to be longer, of course, and he's going to have the ability to put, despite Banana being tough and pretty durable overall, I think Nico Price is going to have that kryptonite, that fight any power that he can land at any angle we've seen in the past, even if off, off his back. So that's the kind of danger this guy has. And, of course, he's got a bit of, of submission game to go along with it. So Price is just a dangerous go-get-it type of fighter that – in any aspect or any time throughout the fight that he's dangerous and he can finish a fight. So that's what makes this fight a little bit more difficult. You can't just go out there and go crazy on Pereira because I think he is the better, more technical fighter. I think he's going to be able to outpoint Price and probably put him out as the fight progresses. But at the Price, again, Price is king, and at minus 180-ish, I think you cannot lay the chalk against a guy like Nico Price. I think Price is getting better. I think he has become a little bit more technical. He was a little bit more – if you look at his fights early on in his career to his recent fights, I think he has definitely put it together and he's gotten a little bit more – Sound and his striking skill, and, and again, he paces himself better as well. So I can see this being a very – Brian just touched on the chess match in the last fight, and I know that sounds crazy, but I think these guys are going to respect each other to the point where it's going to be a chess match at times, and then they're going to let it go, and it's going to kind of be chaos. So fun fight. Looking forward to it. I'm going to pick Pereira to win here. I think he is a more technical fighter and has ability to finish, so he should be the, the rightful favorite. It's just hard to bet him at the betting window. And I understand being concerned about Nico Price because this guy has found victory in everywhere. I mean, literally all different sorts of situations. He has uh, been able to get crazy wins, whether it's off of his back with an up kick, off of his back with a punch against Randy Brown, uh, knocking out Tim Means out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, the guy is just a super capable, dangerous fighter that. Uh, just has incredible power, um, and uh, and he's not afraid to throw from unorthodox angles. So that is something that Pereira is going to have to be 
cautious of. Now, Pereira is a lethal, really technically sound striker that is capable of throwing just the most crazy, unorthodox attacks. I mean, we've seen him do a backflip during a fight. Now, that has, you know, brought him a lot of criticism at times as well because, uh, you know, he pulled all that crap and then, you know, lost some decisions that he should not have lost or, you know, made a silly mistake with the, an illegal knee that he threw that got him disqualified in a fight he was dominating. Um, since that happened, he has definitely been uh, much more composed. Um, we saw him uh, get a nice quality stoppage victory against Imadayev. Uh, two fights ago, and then last time out, he was facing Chaos Williams, a guy that has a similar skill set to Nico Price with just crazy power that could come at any moment. And he was a very different fighter. I mean, he was much more composed. He used his technique. He used distance. And he was able to win a pretty one-sided decision. Now, it wasn't the typical uh, Pereira experience that... Uh, he's been able to have throughout his UFC career, but it was a very good sign that he's maturing a little bit as a fighter. Now, he's still capable of doing some of these crazy stuff, all the spinning attacks and jumping off of the walls and you name it. But I think if he does that, he's going to put himself in a position to get blasted by Price with something crazy and get knocked out. So if he stays composed again, like he did against Williams, he should be able to win this fight. Uh, he's just too much more technically sound, and we've seen Price get picked apart by really savvy strikers. So I'm going to go with Pereira to win by decision, if not a late stoppage, because we have seen Price get uh, some really good technically sound strikers accumulate a lot of damage against him and just eventually wear him out. So Pereira is going to be my pick. Now, sticking with the welterweight division, we have Max Griffin, who is 17 and 8, taking on Carlos Condit, who is 32 and 13. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Griffin opened minus 175, the comeback on Condit plus 150. And right now, over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Griffin minus 175, the comeback on Condit at plus 152. So, line has. Been back and forth. He got bet up almost over 200. Now it's coming back down. Uh, it's kind of got bet a little bit as well. I like Griffin here, to be honest with you. I'm leaning his way. I think I like the improvements he's made in this game. I know Carlos Condit has historically been just a phenomenal welterweight. I mean, making it to the top of the game. Head spot, the best of the best. Historically, done very well. He's on a two-fight win streak, which is impressive. But at the same time, at age 37, I do not think he's in his prime. And I think I understand that Griffin is not far behind. He's only a couple years younger, but I think in MMA fight years, there's a difference between Conor and Griffin as well. Even though Conor has been performing better as of late, I think Griffin, his uptick and his upside is, is pretty big, man. He's getting better as well. I think I've seen a lot of improvements in his game. He's definitely difficult to finish overall. I think Conor's not going to be able to knock him out. I don't think he's going to be able to sub him either. I think Griffin's going to be able to, to present a lot of problems for Conor on the feet and on the ground. I think he's going to utilize that wrestling. He's going to be able to get the takedowns and control this fight. Doesn't really go for subs all that often, but, I mean, we've seen Condit time and time again. If you take his back, you're capable of possibly submitting him. So I wouldn't be shocked if that happens, but I do lean Griffin. I just think he cannot point Condit. He could possibly finish Condit. I think if he hits the scorecards, it might be fairly competitive, 29-28, but I still think Griffin gets it done. So either way, I like Griffin, and as the price drops, there might be some value that opens up on Griffin. 
Yeah, Condit's had a nice little resurgence here lately with uh, two wins in a row against some veteran welterweights. But I'm not going to be fooled here. I think he is still much more of the Carlos Condit that, you know, retired and then came back and got dominated um, for three fights in a row. Um then he is the guy that is on a two fight win streak. Um, Max Griffin isn't a world beater in the welterweight division, but he's still dangerous. I mean, the guy has power on the feet and uh, he does have a little bit of wrestling. Now he's not the greatest grappler, but uh, he has not been submitted. So if he uh, does take this fight to the floor against Condit, I think Condit's ground game is, while he does have some good submission ability, he gets exposed on the ground repeatedly by people that can take it to the floor and stay on top position against him. So I think the fact that on the feet, this could be close. Um, Condit is not as good of a striker as he used to be. Um, he is still dangerous. Um, he definitely could uh, outwork uh, uh, Griffin on the feet. I think Griffin has more power. Uh, I'm a little concerned that Griffin is going to try to go for the kill against Condit, and Condit is extremely durable, and that could uh, be to his detriment. He could tire himself out trying to finish Condit on the feet and then give Condit an opening to win late, as he has done in the past. Um, But uh, overall, I just think that Griffin is going to hold his own on the feet, uh, being uh, younger and uh, just a more dangerous uh, opponent, and if it goes to the ground, I think Griffin is going to be the one in top position holding Condit down and stealing rounds. So, I just think there's a few more paths to victory here for Griffin. Uh, he's much less shop-worn a little bit with all the, the fights that Condit's been in throughout his career, all the crazy wars. Um, so, uh, my pick is going to be Griffin. Now, moving on to the main card... In the Bantamweight division, we have Sean O'Malley, who is 13-1, taking on Chris Moutinho, who is 9-4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? O'Malley opened minus 500, the comeback of Moutinho at plus 375. Right now, over at Circus Sports, we have him at minus 675, the comeback of Moutinho at plus 510. Market pricing out there is 800 to thousands. I see a lot of different prices on O'Malley, but... We're not getting a ton of action laying that chalk up minus 675. I'm sure he's going to be mixing up parlays or whatnot as well. But that being said, I do think he wins this fight. I think Moutinho coming in on short notice, he's taking that shot. Can't blame him here. You've got to, you've got to kind of make a run at it if you get the opportunity in the UFC, even if it's stylistically a bad matchup, which I think this is because I think O'Malley can knock Moutinho out. Moutinho has some decent striking overall, but against a better striker, I mean, we've seen it be problematic for him in the past. I don't think his wrestling is good enough to get this fight to the floor and bring a lot of problems to O'Malley as well. So I think it's going to be O'Malley kind of, again, with those leg issues or whatever he has. I mean, if he loses this fight, it's almost going to be another flukish thing that I think he almost does to himself, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Meaning that some kind of craziness happens and maybe his you know, leg or something like that. I don't expect it to happen, but I'm just saying. I mean, that's why you can't lay minus seven, 800. You never know, especially with a guy that in the past, in a couple separate occasions, we've seen his legs kind of not hold up, if that makes sense. So that being said, I think O'Malley rolls here, though. Just playing devil's advocate and just making sure that people don't make the wrong decisions out here. But I do think O'Malley wins, and he probably wins by stoppage, obviously, if he does. So O'Malley's the pick. I'm staying far away from this fight, though. 
Yeah, O'Malley should win convincingly here. I mean, Mutino is coming in on extremely short notice. He has never faced anybody even close to as good as O'Malley. And the one time he has faced somebody that was UFC caliber, it, while it was in a title fight, um, he did get finished in that fight. So I think O'Malley should win convincingly here. He has a big power edge, a better technical striking edge, and he's pretty capable on the ground, at least a little bit with uh, some submission prowess. Um, that being said, uh, the one thing I am concerned about is, you know, sometimes fluky things happen in O'Malley fights. We've already seen him uh, suffer foot injuries twice inside uh, the, the cage. Now, one time he was able to overcome it and win a decision because his opponent had poor fight IQ. And the other time his opponent took advantage of it and was able to finish him. So, uh, I'm not going to say that this is a guarantee that O'Malley wins. It's extremely likely that he wins. Uh, but Motino, Motino is uh, a dangerous guy. He's got a lot of finishes out of his wins. And if something fluky happens here, Motino is capable of taking advantage of it. So I'm picking O'Malley, but like Nick, I would say be careful with this one. It probably isn't worth the juice. Now... Sticking with the Bantamweight division, moving over to the women's side, we have Irene Aldana, who is 12-6, taking on Yana Kunitskaya, who is 14-5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Aldana opened minus 125 to come back at Kunitskaya at plus 105. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing this price at... Aldana minus 115, Kunitskaya minus 105. So more love coming in on Kunitskaya overall, market wide. The line has dropped. The line was a little bit higher. Man, I'll tell you what, this is definitely an intriguing fight because Aldana has that power on the feet that you don't typically see in a lot of the, the ladies' weight classes, right, the women's divisions. But she does have that fight-ending power. She's proven it time and time again. Heavy hitter, developing her ground game, has decent takedown defense overall as well. So she's a tough out for a lot of fighters. I mean, her striking is fun to watch for sure. Kunitskaya, though, has been impressive to me. I think both these ladies, since they joined the UFC, have improved their games and put the work in. You can see it. It's obvious. It's clear that they put the work in and they've improved their games on both levels. But I like what I see from Kunitskaya a little bit better. I think she's mixing in her ground game. Her wrestling is getting better, stronger all the time. She's a better grinder than she's ever been. And, of course, she's always had a little bit of a striking background that's decent. I mean, she's capable of striking with most of, most of these ladies as well. Now, she doesn't want to get in a firefight with Aldana. Not highly recommended, but I think she'll do well enough on the feet to open up her grinding style, meaning that she'll be able to get some takedowns. I think she'll be able to stuff Aldana up against a cage, and she'll be able to utilize that game plan and, and squeak out a win here. So it should be competitive, of course, but I do think Kunitskaya is probably the right side. It's a darker pass situation. So my pick... Is Kunitskaya, I think she keeps her role going here. And I'm going to go with Kunitskaya as well. Uh, we saw Aldana come in way overweight, which was a bit surprising. Um, so sh that is a concern. And, um, you know, I'm just, why did she have such a bad weight cut? That's not usually something that happens here. So that is something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, you really have to take into consideration that... Kunitskaya is the more well-rounded fighter here. Now, Aldana has made some strides with her ground game. She even pulled off a submission against Bechkoheya, but uh, Kunitskaya has a pretty strong history of being able to mix up both the, the ground and uh, the striking. Now, I'm not going to say that Kunitskaya is as good of a striker as Aldana. I think that Aldana is 
more technically sound. She's a little more fluid on the feet and she does have more power. But if Eldana has the concern about Kunitskaya dragging her to the canvas in the back of her head, that can play into things. Uh, we've seen that time and time again. And uh, I think that that is something that Eldana is going to be worried about. But if this stays standing for three straight rounds, uh, Eldana can definitely win a decision. She might even win by knockout. I mean, we have seen Kunitskaya get finished uh, with some power shots uh, from, you know, Aspen Ladd, Chris Cyborg, granted, uh, you know, those were kind of ground and pound situations, but uh, that is something that could happen. Now, um, that being said, Kunitskaya is, I think, going to be able to hold her own on the feet, and then she makes this interesting if she drags it to the floor or into the clinch, where I think the closer distance will allow her to open up some different uh, paths of attack. So uh, I like that Kunitskaya is the more well-rounded fighter here. Um, she is got a little bit more overall momentum, I feel like, you know, coming off the win over uh, Ketlin Vieira, whereas Aldana just lost a decision to Holly Holm. So uh, I think that Kunitskaya is getting Aldana at the right time, especially after that bad uh, weight cut miss. So... Uh, I'm going to stick with Kunitskaya here. I just think she has a few more paths to victory. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Tai Tuivasa, who is 12-3, taking on Greg Hardy, who is 7-3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Tuivasa opened minus 170 to come back on Hardy at plus 145. And as we speak, Tuivasa is minus 135 to come back on Hardy, plus 115. Tuivasa should not have been a minus 175 favorite over Hardy. This is, to me, a lot closer to a pickup type of fight for sure. Hardy should actually be a slight favorite in some cases, I can argue that. Look, Tuivasa is a pretty solid, fun heavyweight to watch. Of course, he's got that fight-ending power. He's proven it time and time again. He's fairly durable. Um... And he brings it every time. I mean, every one of his fights is pretty fun to watch, like I said. So he's an exciting heavyweight to have on the roster. I think he's a great fit for that division. But I think Hardy is the better athlete here. He's going to have some physical attributes over to Ibasa. I think he is the heavier hitter here on the feet. I think he's got the skill on the feet to actually outstrike Tuivasa here as well. So Tuivasa, not really known for his wrestling. I think he's going to probably want to utilize that game plan, especially after Hardy gets a striking goal here and look for a takedown or two. Even though he hasn't done it since his debut fight, I still think if his, his game plan, his coaching staff, everybody's going to try to implement it, especially Hardy coming off that loss. It's, it's amazing how many people are counting Hardy out because of that, I think. I know Tabura was able to have success on the ground. A lot of people were anticipating that Hardy has gas tank issues. There's a lot that people are, are talking and thinking about Hardy here in this spot. And, you know, he does t tend to slow down in fights for sure. I can understand that and I can respect that. But I think this is going to be one of those fights that both these guys are going to slow down as the fight progresses a little bit. And Hardy's going to always be the more dangerous guy. So I think if this is a striker versus striker matchup, you've got to favor Greg Hardy here. I'm going to pick him to win, and I think it's a dog or pass situation. Yeah, this one's interesting to me because uh, Hardy is an extremely dangerous striker. He has fight-ending power. Um, he almost had Tabora, you know, on the ropes there in his last fight before Tabora was able to survive, get a takedown and win from top position. So, and that would be, have been a huge win, uh big feather in his cap. Uh, Tuivasa on the other hand, 
Um, he's had his issues with guys taking him down and beating him up. That's not going to happen here. Hardy has virtually no ground game whatsoever. In fact, uh, you know, while Tui Vasa has had uh, ground game issues throughout his UFC career, I would say that Tui Vasa's ground game is probably a little bit better than Hardy's because at least we've seen him have a little bit of success from top position. So uh, if... Uh, there, there's a path to victory here for Tui Vasa if he can drag Hardy to the floor. I mean, we saw Hardy had absolutely no idea how to get back to his feet when somebody who was confident on the ground in Tibora got on top of him. I mean, he just got destroyed there. I mean, it was embarrassing. So um, if Tui Vasa is smart here, you know, why risk getting in a slugfest with a former NFL player that is an elite athlete? Um I mean, I know that, you know, Tui Vasa is a former, you know, strong athlete out of rugby and everything, but still, you know, this is not something that, you know, you, you want to play with fire here. So maybe drag Hardy to the floor and see what happens. Uh, that being said, on the feet, Tui Vasa has made some strides with his technical striking. He's, he's improving his jab. He's improving some of his movement, uh, his head movement. He's uh, definitely not just a brawler anymore. But uh, that being said, Hardy has that crazy athleticism and that ridiculous power. I mean, just touches you and you can go out. So uh, I would say if, you know, these guys are getting into a slugfest on the feet, it's going to be Hardy that doesn't just win, but could win by stoppage. So I'm going to go with Hardy because I think that, you know, even though there is a slight path to victory here on the ground, I'm not sure Tuivasa will use it. I don't, uh, Nick told me earlier that Tuivasa hasn't even attempted a takedown since his UFC debut, which was a long time ago. So uh, I'm going to go with Hardy. I think this is going to be entertaining for however long it lasts because both these guys can bang. But uh, Hardy, I think, hits a little bit harder. And I think that Tuivasa isn't going to be able to take those shots. So my pick is going to be Hardy. Now, this brings us to the co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We have Gilbert Burns, who is 19-4, taking on Stephen Thompson, who is 16-4-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA Oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Burns open minus 155 to come back on Thompson at plus 135. And as we speak right now, the line has drastically changed. We have Thompson at minus 155 to come back on Burns at plus 135. The line's flipped. So we are seeing Wonderboy Thompson as a favorite, as he should be the favorite. I understand and respect everybody that came in on Thompson in this fight. Win or lose, you guys had a great line grab. Look, Thompson stylistically can be a terrible matchup for Burns. I mean, he's got decent takedown defense. He's got the footwork and the ability to keep space, keep his distance, and pick Burns apart. He's by far the better striker. The only shot I think Burns has on the feet, he is improving, and he's got that knockout threat because he does have that power, and he showed it time and time again. And we've seen Thompson dominating a fight against Pettis and get caught with one punch and just get blasted and put out. So I think on the feet, that's Burns' likely path to victory. Is I don't want to say getting lucky because that punch from Pettis wasn't exactly luck. I mean, he timed it perfectly, and it was a beautiful strike that ended the fight. But... That's the situation I feel like Burns can land something like that, maybe get it done. Outside of that, he's going to get picked apart. Thompson is an elite-level striker, one of the best strikers I've ever seen grace the octagon, and he's only improving it, even at age 38. So that said, Burns presents a lot of problems. If he is able to take Thompson's back, it could be a wrap. If he's able to get takedowns, it could be a wrap. So that's why this line is competitive, and you have to respect Burns as an underdog because he has 
the ability to finish this fight. Thompson also has the ability to finish this fight. I think he can knock Burns out. I don't expect this to go all the way. I think if you're looking at something, I mean, I, I, again, I don't think this is the scorecards. I lean a little bit more towards the under than anything. But more so than anything, I do realistically think that Thompson should win this fight if he doesn't get caught. I mean, I'm ho- kind of hoping he does because he deserves to be in that title shot pitcher. And I would love to see a fight with him and Usman because I think that presents a possible challenge for sure for Usman because of everything that Thompson brings to the table. If he's able to stuff the takedowns, he could outstrike the champ as well. I know that's crazy to say, especially how good Usman has looked. But this is Thompson's opportunity to get that title shot, to get in that matchup, and he needs to win desperately over Burns to get there. So I think he gets it done. I hope he gets it done so we can see that potential matchup down the road. Uh, But either way, I think there is going to be an exciting finish. We'll see how this one plays out. And I'm going to go with Stephen Thompson as well. Now, I am totally aware that Gilbert Burns has more paths to victory here. Uh, Burns has some fight-ending power. He's made strides in his striking. I mean, he even dropped Usman early in their fight. So he is more than capable of knocking Stephen Thompson out uh, if he lands that big bomb. Um, I mean, I don't think I'd ever really seen Usman hurt in a fight other than that one moment. So totally could happen. Um, if Burns is able to get Stephen Thompson on the ground and grapple with him, he can definitely win this fight by ground and pound, by submission, or, you know, riding out top position enough to win rounds. So, again, I totally understand there are more paths to victory here for Gilbert Burns. That being said, Stephen Thompson just has this way of neutralizing all of your strengths with his um, incredible use of distance and range. Uh, I mean, he just has this really awkward karate style that keeps fighters at the end of his strikes and forces them to really have to put themselves out of position to land strikes against him or try to take him down. Um, it has been extremely effective throughout his UFC career, and it's allowed him to make some really good fighters look absolutely silly in the cage. I mean, he absolutely dominated guys like Rory McDonald on the feet, Johnny Hendricks on the feet, Jake Ellenberger on the feet, won a decision against Jorge Masvidal, arguably won against Darren Till. I still think he did. He was crushing Anthony Pettis before that Superman punch came out of nowhere. And then most recently, um, he has bounced back with very one-sided performances against, you know, top 10, top 15 guys in Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. So um, he is still capable of going out there and looking incredible and really frustrating his opponents. And if he's able to do that against Gilbert Burns, you know, is Gilbert going to be able to even get inside without getting cracked uh, to, to land that big shot or to land that takedown or to just get a hold of him? Uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, Thompson is just so good at just keeping those shots right in your face. Um, he is one of the best at it I've ever seen. Um, so uh, I think that there is a really good chance that he flusters Gilbert Burns here over the course of, you know, three rounds. And um, you got to remember that uh, it is not a five-round fight, so Burns is not going to have a lot of time to, to get in there and, and land that shot. So if Burns doesn't take him out in the first round, especially if Thompson can really settle in and find his groove, I think he is really going to fluster Burns. So 
Uh, my pick is going to be Stephen Thompson. I think he wins a decision. If not, potentially Knox burns out by the end of the third round. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening. We have the trilogy. Uh, Dustin Poirier in the lightweight division, 27-6, and six, taking on Conor McGregor, who is 22-5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Market-wide, this fight opened, Conor McGregor minus 140 to come back on Poirier plus 120. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Poirier minus 135 to come back on Conor McGregor at plus 115. Line flipped. Look, I get it, man. I mean, a lot of people think that Conor McGregor's a shot fighter. A lot of people think that he's kind of a spoiled fighter, meaning that he's got so much money right now, he's not taking the sport serious as much. And there's, you know, his inactivity, everything kind of factored in. And then looking like he has, not being on a great win streak as of late either. All that factors in. Poirier, on the other side of it, being on fire. I mean, look at the people and level of competition that he's beaten on this run that he's had. It's been phenomenal. His last loss to Khabib, that's not a bad loss, obviously. The pound for pound, best lightweight possibly ever in the history of the sport in Khabib. That's not a bad loss. I mean, obviously, Connor has suffered a loss to Khabib as well. So these guys, I, I understand the respect for you is getting here. At 155, he's more durable. He's been fighting better for sure. He's able to absorb those punches. He wasn't really able to at 145 pounds. Uh, but Conor McGregor is getting disrespected, in my opinion, here in this spot. I think Conor is the better striker still, regardless of Poirier being able to finish him last time. I think technically speaking and overall, the Conor McGregor skill level is more diverse and more capable of Dustin Poirier. But that being said, of course, both these guys are dangerous. We've seen it. They split. This is a trilogy fight for a reason. I just think the price is everything here. And you do not want to lay chalk this time around in this spot. I mean, if anything, I would lay chalk a little bit on Connor, maybe minus 120, minus 125, somewhere around there. But beyond that, I think it's a dog or pass situation. So I think you need to lean, look towards the Connor McGregor side. I understand it's not the popular lean here, but I think Connor can make the necessary adjustments needed here. The leg kicks were a big impact in that fight. If you look at it, McGregor was having success early on in that fight. Poirier adjusted well started utilizing those leg kicks when they started doing damage. He just kept on going to him. And obviously they made that much of an impact that Conor McGregor just couldn't keep up. Wilted under that pressure. Credit to Poirier. He got it done. Impressive, impressive TKO finish there. So a lot to like. There's no question about it. I just think that just because we saw that a few months back doesn't mean it's going to happen again. And I think Conor McGregor is that type of fighter that can dig deep, that can adapt, that knows his back's up against the wall and he needs to take this fight a lot more seriously than the, first, the second time around, I should say. I want to say the first time around because it was more recent, but in their second fight, I think he thought he was going to rule Dustin Poirier as well. This time, he's going to take him a lot more serious. He knows that he can lose this fight because Poirier just beat him for crying out loud. So I think he is going to respect Poirier as he should, and he needs to go out there and, and show us some vintage Conor McGregor, and I think we will see it. So I'm expecting Conor to show up a lot better. I'm not going to go along with the narrative right now that everybody thinks Poirier is going to just roll right through him because he did last time. I'm going to pick Conor McGregor. I think he's back. He's going to prove it here. And I think he has a little bit more fight left in him than everybody anticipates. So my pick is Conor McGregor. And at plus money, it's definitely a dogger pass situation. And I totally understand picking McGregor. I mean, he has he did well bouncing back from a loss in a rematch the last time when he faced Nate Diaz. He was able to go five full rounds instead of gassing out halfway through the second round like he did in the, the previous fight. So 
uh, he does make adjustments. And I would not be shocked one bit if he comes out there and steamrolls Poirier. Because if you remember, you know, the last time they fought, he was winning the first round. And then Poirier was able to do some good damage with some low kicks and then set up a big combination. And then just McGregor got stunned and he just never recovered. So, uh, I mean, it was a great performance by Poirier, no doubt about it. But uh, that is definitely something that uh, you have to take into consideration that, uh, you know, McGregor knocked him out the first time they fought and he won the first round in the sec in the rematch. So this time around, I would not be shocked to see McGregor make those adjustments to potentially win this fight. I mean, he has incredible power. Poirier has been knocked out multiple times throughout his career. And if McGregor lands those big shots, I mean, they can knock anybody out, especially Poirier. I mean, he's already done it. Granted, it was at featherweight. Now, uh, this time around, you know, Poirier's got the confidence too. He's got a little bit of swagger. Um, he clearly has been training hard as well. I mean, I'm really excited for this match. Uh, I think the thing you always have to take into consideration is McGregor does slow down in fights. I mean, if he doesn't land that big shot in the first round or two, uh, he does tend to struggle. And with this being a five-round main event, if McGregor doesn't take out Poirier in the first round, maybe round and a half, uh, you have to start thinking that Poirier has the edge. Uh, he has been able to go five rounds consistently. He has put on some incredible performances throughout his career. And I think he can do it again here. So uh, I'm going to go with Dustin Poirier. Uh, I'm going to be nervous about McGregor knocking him out the entire time. But I just think that he has uh, more paths to victory because he can knock McGregor out. McGregor can knock him out. But Poirier can win a decision. And I cannot see McGregor winning a decision here. So, uh, and I think Poirier can win late. And I do not think McGregor can win late. So my pick is going to be Dustin Poirier. I just think as long as he can outlast that first round, um, he's going to be on easy street potentially. So Poirier is my pick. Now this, so that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 264. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMA OB premium on Twitter, because that's what we'll give them out. And you can also check out the free bet section on MMAoddsbreaker.com on the top tab. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.